I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Regardless of a business's size structure, public versus private, governmental agency versus startup, mom and pop shop, whatever it is, it's whatever the business is, there's always someone in charge, right? Someone's in charge, someone's making the decisions, someone's picking a North Star and pointing to it and sailing it, and you know, was we employer brand or people talk about it. Somebody's in charge, right? That's the way it's always been. There's always someone or some organization, some group. It's the president, it's the CEO, it's the the board, it's the regulatory association, it's a government employee. I don't know, somebody's always in charge. The founder, I don't care, somebody's in charge. That person's always been at the top of whatever organizational pyramid slash hierarchy slash matrix slash agile framework you decide to throw at it, right? But I wonder, a lot of stuff has changed the last three months, four months, who's counting? and frankly, a lot of stuff's been changing for a long, long time. A lot of stuff that have been bubbling up and percolating and waiting for their moment to arrive, Mr. Paul McCartney. Um, and maybe this is one of them. This idea of who's in charge is starting to shift. And that's what we're going to talk about because I wonder right now, is it always been that way and does it always have to be this way? Do we always have to have the same kind of person in charge? We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis, and I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis, recording live from Chicago. Um, the housekeeping is as per usual. There's a book. Go buy it. Uh, it's actually two books, but you know, keep it simple. There are links in the show notes. If you have a question for me and another employer brand professional, go to thetalentcast.com and go find the big orange button so you can record your 90-second question. And there's a potential, after we get a couple of these, we can start sorting them out, that we actually answer your question on the podcast. So I'm going to get some other people to help me out with this. I would love it if you have a question or an idea or something you'd like me to talk about. Put the question on the website. Maybe we'll even, you know, use your voice in the podcast. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you too like to be famous to the fifteen listeners to this particular podcast? And that is being funny. Anyway, um, blah blah blah. Headlines. Blah blah blah. Newsletter. Blah blah blah. Okay, here we go. So who's in charge? So if you Google, and I'm doing this as we speak. Or actually, I did it because no one wants to hear me type. Uh, Google employees demand. You've got Google employees, so many articles on Google, and this is just, you know, today. Google employees demand companies stop selling tech to police, ends police contracts, uh, demands climate change, demands, uh, there's protests walking out, there's uh, demanding uh, reducing carbon emissions. Employees at Google 
clearly are a very demanding lot. But they're not alone if you do the same thing for Facebook. You get a lot of Facebook employees stage virtual walkout to protest Trump. Uh, employees demand um, expectations about abusive relationships inside of Facebook. Chan Zuckerberg Initiative employees demand that Zuckerberg leave Facebook. I mean, there's a lot of demanding. And this is, look, let's be fair, the tech press, Facebook, Google, et cetera, et cetera, get a lot of attention, you know. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, pretty much whatever shirt, sweatshirt he decides to wear at any given day, ends up getting an article and a press release. And that's fine. And that's, you know, but we can use this as a bit like a canary in the coal mine, a bit of a litmus test to say, look, you know, we, it was a joke once when Facebook and Google said things like, hey, we're going to offer lunch to all our employees or free coffee, or we're going to give some very, very lush perks to these people. And we went, ha, huh, crazy, wacky do town. Uh, must be nice. I wonder if they're ever going to make any money. And of course, then one day you realize they're printing all the money and you go, huh, maybe these are the companies I'm competing with for talent. Maybe I have to offer free lunch too. Maybe I have to offer ping pong table and foosball and gourmet coffee on demand with six different kind of coffee makers, right? You can't just have the one machine you press the button. You got to have an AeroPress. You got to have an espresso machine. You got to have a French press. You got to have all the things you got to have, right? And why? Because it started at companies like Google and Facebook. They are tend to be uh, driving a lot of the direction of what companies end up having to do, right? Okay, so let's bear that in mind. So here we have a time in which employees at places like Google and Facebook are making demands. And I have to imagine that similar things are happening in less publicized manner in other large companies, right? If a company is deciding to sell tech to uh, foreign governments, employees have a problem with that. If they have a problem with politics, if they have a problem with, hey, let's talk about Black Lives Matter. If they're talking about the police tech that identify the facial recognition technology, somewhere there's someone, uh, some company selling weapons to police and starting to realize maybe we shouldn't be selling them to the police. Maybe these are military weapons. Maybe these, this, this is the wrong way to go. Employees suddenly are making demands, whereas before they never really could. I mean, they could try. Um, you know, that's where you know, our version, American version, the Industrial Revolution took a very interesting turn in the late teens, 20s, when, you know, factory workers unionized and kind of said, look, we demand some very basic rights to what we're doing. You can't just beat us. You can't just pay us whatever the heck you want. We want some collective bargaining. And it's been a long time since we've seen this kind of employees demanding things. And since it's been so long, it feels brand new to me, even though I know in my heart it's not, but it feels that way because I think what they're, it's not about, hey, we demand healthcare, we demand 401ks, we demand more money. It's we demand that the company change direction. And I find that fascinating. You know, we like to think that there is no Facebook without the old Zuck, but there really is, because there's like 10,000 other people who work there not named Zuckerberg who uh, have apparently some influence in this company and have thoughts and feelings and intentions and desires and motivations and reasons why they showed up to work. And that's always been an interesting process at Facebook where they overpay relative to market value of what these people are worth so they could hire the best people, but because there's not a lot else they can talk about. They're, they're not you know, saving the pandas, and they're not saving the world. They're selling ads, right? That's that's, and there's nothing wrong with selling ads. Ads are fine. We need ads to do what we do in this particular or, you know, p- particular world. But 
you know, you don't necessarily feel it. What, what was the line that uh, Steve Jobs said to John Scully? What do you do, sell uh, colored fizzy water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to make a you know, change in the universe, right? He was trying to pull the PepsiCo uh, CEO over to Apple as he was walking out the door. You know, that's got to be a similar kind of conversation. Do you want to build an app that saves lives? Do you want to build an app that or code that finds ways to help people? Or do you want to find ways to push ads to people in a more effective fashion? And that's a tough ask to make here in this world, which is why they, on some level, they have to pay them a lot more. Again, not pejorative, not dinging him. I'm simply saying that's just a business model they've made. Got it. But suddenly, a lot of decisions being made in a non-Zuckerberg kind of model. Suddenly, non-Zuckerbergs are demanding things. They're saying, this is the direction of the company. We should allow this. We should not allow this. We are okay with this. We are not okay with this. And suddenly, you have to wonder who's in charge. Because if it's happening in Google and Facebook, it's happening in other companies. Look around at your company. Are there expectations? If your company decided today that they were going to uh, protest Black Lives Matter, how would that how would that work? Or they were about to show up to a Trump rally, how would that work? What if your CEO said, hey, this company is all about helping Trump or helping Black Lives Matter, which to me are some pretty disparate uh, political stances you can take. They're pretty far on the other ends, opposite ends of the spectrum there. I think they're good litmuses. What would happen? Would 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 the people of your company say, cool, yeah, Black Lives Matter is great, or cool, Trump is great? Or would they say, whoa, 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 this is not what I signed up for. And even if it's a small collection of people inside the company, if they make a stink, if they raise their voices, if it's more than just one or two people, if it's a lot of people, if it's a good subset of the company saying, I'm not down for this, who's in charge? There's a lot of great books and a lot of great writing and research around the idea of the temperance movement in the States uh, way back you know, in the 19th century, early beginning of the 19th century, I'm sorry, 20th century. And, you know, when we think about, ah, prohibition, they outlawed booze, it's because everybody didn't want booze. Well, that actually wasn't the case at all. In fact, it was a very, 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 very small minority of people who demanded that alcohol be made illegal. It's called the temperance movement. Again, I don't want to be a history lesson here. This is not that kind of podcast. But occasionally my political science background makes an appearance here, and here we are. Um... But because they could apply leverage, because they could stand on some sort of moral high ground, they could make demands of the government, of their particular representatives, of their organizational structures. They could say, look, you have to abolish the, abolish the demon drink. You have, it's causing so many of society's ills. And they had protests and they had rallies and eventually to shut them up, to say in no uncertain terms, and it's not specifically women, but certainly women had a huge role in the temperance movement. Really impressive that, you know, I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned right now about watching, looking at that and saying, what can women, what can Black Lives Matter, what can social groups today learn from that movement? But again, that's a side note. But they were able to say, no, no, we're going to make an amendment that says alcohol is illegal, despite the fact that a vast majority of Americans said, whoa, 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 that's my beer. What are you talking about? And it took a long time to undo that thing. So there's a lot of examples. There's, there's real clear precedent that says a small minority of, or of people in an organization, even a big one like America, can make change, can make decisions. And you have to wonder who's in charge. Now, to me, this is fascinating not just because it's a political thing and there's a lot of parallels, but really because as an employer brander, who am I serving? 
really, ultimately, right? We talk about employer branding as the most human side of the corporate brand, as the most human face of what your brand is all about. Because your employer brand is very rarely your CEO. Your employer brand is very rarely uh, your leadership. It's the people who show up. It's the people who take part. It's the people who step up. It's the people who take your surveys and participate in your interviews. Sometimes it's the people HR kind of designates as great model employees that you want to model. And that's, I know, that's, that's pretty common. You know, no one says, hey, bring me your best people and the four or five people who are about to be let go for performance reasons. I want to interview them so we can get more of those people. That, that doesn't happen. You know, and, but at the same time, while you're talking to people, you're also talking to leadership, right? The leadership's supposed to be in charge of the direction of the company. The, the rule of thumb is that staff are worried about what happened, what just happened in the past. Management's worried about what's happening right now. And that leadership is supposed to be man, worrying about what's happening in the future. That's kind of the separation of authority and powers, right? That, you know, uh, employees care about if I do well, if I sell well, if I perform well, I get my bonus. If I, things that happened in the past weren't really, really well, I get rewarded. That's good. Manage, it's all about how do I manage all the expectations, the demands on my time, on my energy, on my resources. Uh, it, right now, it's, it's, it's very much a, it's a Zen kind of job where it's like you almost forget the past. You almost forget the future. You just go, how do I stay alive today? How do I keep this thing afloat today, this second, right? And a lot of managers going, whew, I know that. I know that. And, you know, having done that, yeah. <laughs> And leadership's really about the future. Hey, this is the direction of the company. This is where we're taking things. This is what we want from it. This is where we expect it. And it's based not on one person saying, I like this. I think we should get into mufflers. Let's make a lot of mufflers. It's about leadership, and it's almost always a leadership committee in a company of any kind of size. Leadership has said, okay, based on the macro trends of what our market wants, about what our audience cares about, or what our customers care about, are you know if you're you know doing a muffler you know thing, are they driving more cars? Are more cars going more miles? Is few car, fewer cars going more miles? What happens uh, in a world where climate change dictates that? Maybe fewer people own cars, but the cars that are on the road, i.e. Ubers and Lyft kind of drivers, are on the road a lot more. How does that change? What are the macro trends of that stuff? How does electric cars or autonomous cars change things? There's a lot of things to consider, a lot of ideas and trends to weigh when you're deciding, okay, this is the direction of the company. And in two years, five years, this is what we think is going to be, and this is how we're going to serve our customers so we can make money. That is leadership's job. And yet here... We have frontline staff, the people who are supposed to be ostensibly focused on the past, very much saying, we refuse to do these things anymore. We don't want to be a party to police tech. We don't want to be a party to uh, um, Russian bots spamming Americans during an election year. We don't want to be a party to you know the president potentially fan by potentially, you know my feelings on this, but potentially fanning the flames of violence and fear and hate just to get elected again, right? We don't want to be a part of this thing, and this isn't what we signed up for. We're not cool with this. Your employer brand is a function of what your employees and your leadership says this company is and is about to be. And it seems like while the money hasn't always trickled down, certainly there's a chance for staff to have an outside influence. Maybe not rule or maybe not mandate, but certainly a great deal of influence over the direction of the company. And like I said, haven't really seen that before. 
So as you're managing your employer brand or thinking about your employer brand, I guess an interesting litmus question, a litmus test kind of question would be to say, who's in charge and why are they in charge? And what does each person want from this company? Right? We, we talk about the value proposition, the employer value proposition, and the brand promise, whatever. There's a lot of ways to talk about it. We talk about it as this idea of the company, i.e. a legal entity, that has offered, proffered X in return for Y. And usually it starts off with, we will offer you some cash for your time and energy to solve these problems. And sometimes we will offer you money and stability and uh, healthcare. In this country, we definitely need to add that in. Not every, Not true of every other country. And by the way, if you're in one of those countries, lucky you, um, we will offer you these things and some perks and some sense of accomplishment, some sense of opportunity, and maybe we'll align our work and how we offer our work to your motivations, depending on based if you're on you're, you're this kind of person, right? That is what you offer, and in return, the employee gives their time, energy, money, pat, not money, money. Sorry, I apologize. And, and in return, the employee gives their time, energy, passion. Uh, here's a phrase I've learned: emotional commitment to the job, to the task at hand, to the problem. That's the offer. Well, what if now the employee has the chance to say, not only you're going to you know, provide your time, energy, emotional commitment, but you're also going to provide your strategic decision-making, your morality. All these things are now suddenly influencing who a company is and what a company is. Not just whether or not the people are happy with the CEO or the president or police tech, or whatever the you know flavor of the day is, but simply to say, how much does a company have to listen to its staff? Because let's be fair, the answer to that question is a huge part of the employer brand. What's it like to work there? Well, when you work here, CEOs don't care at all what you have to say or think. So go ahead and spend your money on whatever it is you want because they ain't gonna listen to you ever again. Or, you know what? CEO here actually listens. And if we band together and we demand, make certain demands and we can show how it's not dramatically detrimental to the company's bottom line, the CEO takes that into account. Those two divergent ideas, different points on a particular spectrum have a huge impact on what your employer brand is and certainly on how it's perceived, how people see it. They can, Someone can say, oh, this is a great job because I get a lot of opportunity, but we know that that opportunity is framed in this idea of you get the opportunity to do more or do it your way so long as you meet certain criteria. And if you do, you get to make the money. You get to get the salary. You don't get fired. You get a bonus maybe. It's opportunity within the problem solving. At no point do they say, hey, frontline staff, you have the opportunity to decide the direction of the company. No, no, we have people for that. We don't need your input on that. Thanks you so much. Go apply your opportunity mind and mindset to solving the problem how to sell more mufflers or sweaters or whatever the hell it is, right? That's usually how we think about opportunity. That's usually how we think about responsibility. That's usually how we think about you know, what people want out of the company. It's about within that role, but it's changing, isn't it? And it's, like I said, it's not just Google and Facebook. Watch, I, you, I have to imagine on some level, the reason why Coke and Unilever and other companies are boycotting Facebook ads right now, it's not just because the CEO and the CMO said, you know what, this is a moral imperative and this is what we're doing. I have to imagine there was internal conversations. There were town halls. There were people demanding of HR and COOs and CHROs, hey, we have the bully pulpit here. If you're Unilever, if you're Coke, you spend a bajillion dollars on ads 
And a lot of that bajillion dollars lands in Facebook's pocket. We have the chance to make an input, an impact, because we can say, Facebook, unless you make these changes, we're not gonna give you all this cash. Now, if you're a mom and pop shop, you don't have that a chance. Here we are at Unilever and Coke, we get to make that. So again, I don't think, and I have based on absolutely no knowledge whatsoever, that I don't think it was just the CEO or CMOs making that decision. I think there was a, I would have to expect there's a lot of internal conversation about that. I think employees demanded it, expected it, supported the idea to the point where there was no choice but to do that. That's my expectation. And I think it's simple proof that people expect a little more every day, control over their organization, control over the direction, control over the limits of how far a company is allowed to go to make a buck. And if that's true, you as the owner of the employer brand have to take that into consideration. How do you build that out? How do you express it? How do you weave the idea that there's a story about how employees stepped up and said, look, this is a, a, a concept too far and we will not stand for it. We will divest from these ideas or we will stop working until we divest from these ideas and made the change happen. That's a huge pillar. That's a huge potential pillar we don't really talk about. In fact, frankly, if it does show up, I don't think most companies are, are willing to talk about it. And there's a reason for that. It's because, well, to be fair, leadership may not be thrilled that they no longer have all the power. They may not be completely in charge. If I'm in charge and suddenly you said, hey, you get to make just as much money, but you have less power, I don't know how thrilled I'd be with that. I mean, keeping that money would be, is, is this nice little salve, salve for that, or salve, salve, uh, that's a weird word. Um, makes it feel a little better, but frankly, if I have power, no one wants less power. No one goes, you know what you should do? You should take power from me. That's not how power works. They have to feel like, let's not reinforce, let's not reward this particular behavior. We don't know how happy we are because we can't control it in the future. That's why I think is, is kind of keeping companies from investing, from dialing this up and saying, no, this is really a thing and this is what we care about. We want to talk about how companies, how our people have a voice in the larger idea of what this company is, what it stands for, what it does, how it produces it, who it produces is with. That the employees are the owners just as much as the, the leadership is. That we all choose the direction together. That is... If you can tell that story, if you can get leadership to tell that story, it's a story that is not going to be heard very often, and it's an opportunity for you to make a huge impact on how people see you, why they want to work for you, and you're going to attract a very certain kind of person, and I think it's an opportunity you can't let slip by. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you all next week. Have a great week. Bye. This has been an episode of The Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple of ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk, that's linkedin.com slash in slash The War for Talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me. Let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, 
Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.